Although the first flamenco recording appeared around 1898, in the sixth episode of the podcast Forgotten Sounds of Flamenco, I'd like to ask you the following question. Can we know how the flamenco sounded before the appearance of these first recordings? Have you ever thought about it? Although it seems surprising, the answer is not so obvious. I will give you some clues so that you can have a more precise answer to this question at the end of the episode. Will you join me? Sounds that once were listened. Sounds that once were enjoyed. Sounds that once were danced. Sounds relegated to oblivion. And yet, there is still something we can do for them. Let us summon them. Let us summon them. Welcome to the podcast Forgotten Sounds of Flamenco. My name is Jose Miguel Hernandez Jaramillo, and I invite you to enroll in this journey through the sounds, stories, spaces, and people that were part of the 19th century flamenco. Hello, how are you? What a great topic we have today on the podcast. A straightforward question. Can we know how flamenco would sound before the recordings? I tell you that this is one of the topics that I have worked on the most in all these years of research, and perhaps the achievement of which we are more satisfied and surprised. And I say this in plural because Lenny Carroyes also worked on this topic. Developing an analytical methodology to approach the knowledge of how popular music could have sound even before the recordings is something unique and has opened to us not road but highways to understand how musical processes happened in the time of our great-great-grandparents or before. A little bit further on, I will tell you about some of the analytic techniques we used to obtain this knowledge. But first, let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on the leading podcast platforms such as iTunes, Evox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as on the YouTube channel Sonidos Olvidados en Musicología Creativa. Well, the question I bring today is a tricky question, and the answer will depend on the meaning we give to the word no. I am very picky about rigor and precision in research matters. If we are referring to knowing the sonic dimension on how a guitar or a flamenco song of that time would sound, it is evident that we will never have 100% knowledge as we could have with a live performance. In fact, even with the recordings, we cannot have the knowledge 100%. If we can't have 100% knowledge of how they sang and played before the recordings, it doesn't mean that we don't know anything. There is a big gray scale in between black and white. Therefore, we can know something about the flamenco of that time, and I'd say in a bigger percentage than we imagine. Many people consider it impossible to know what that flamenco was like, and in my opinion, this is mainly due to two reasons. The first is due to the lack of knowledge of the musical documentation of flamenco before 1895, and the second, especially for those dedicated to flamenco research, because they use an epistemological framework with certain prejudices. I will comment briefly on each of these reasons. First, I mentioned that some people are unaware of the existence of musical score and transcription of flamenco music before the recordings. This seems surprising now, but notice that 25 years ago, when the Bienal de Flamenco de Sevilla published my book entitled 
la música preflamenca, it was almost heretical in the flamenco world, at least in my closest circle of flamenco peñas, aficionados and artists of Seville, because some people found it strange that I talk about flamenco scores being written in the 19th century. This fact was absolutely unknown two decades ago, and for many people it still is today. That's what I mean by the term ignorance. If you don't know the existence of the scores and transcriptions, you may think that we can only know how flamenco sounded with the recordings. I even admit that it was unknown for me in the mid-90s. When I founded the first score of Papetenera in the appendix of the book Die Cantes Flamenco by Hugo Schuchart, which has just published the Spanish translation at that time, I was shocked. This book was originally published in 1881, and when I heard the score of the Petenera, it sounded very familiar to me. It was very similar to the current flamenco Petenera, but with a very lively rhythm. You know that now the flamenco Petenera is a slow and sad song, but this Petenera from Schuchar was cheerful and with a beat rhythm, but otherwise very similar to the current one. As an anecdote, I tell you that this was the beginning of my musical research on these flamenco scores of the 19th century. The second reason why some people consider that it is impossible to know the flamenco before the recordings, it is because even if they know that there were scores of flamenco palos in the 19th century, they do not consider them reliable sources. And this happens, in my opinion, due to a couple of prejudices. The first is due to a position with classist overtones. By classist, I mean associating written music with the elite's cultural productions and oral music with those of the subalternized people, creating a big barrier. Furthermore, under this prejudice, it is usually considered that written music must be an original creation of the person who composed it. I agree that this is a creation, but the term original has many nuances. While in the 20th or 21st century it is common for pieces published in scores to be original compositions, this was different in the 19th century. It was so common to write on a score the melody of popular songs or variations or falsetas of flamenco guitar. The second prejudice related to the first one is to consider that oral music cannot be written down on a score. And this is very common even today. Recently, I have read in PhD dissertations and heard in lectures from people researching and teaching flamenco categorical statements such as, it is not possible to make a history of flamenco as it is a music of oral tradition, or this one. As there is no written music of flamenco in the 19th century, we can only know flamenco from the first recordings. Here, remember what I commented earlier, between the black and whites, there are many grays in between, and the oral does not necessarily imply that it was not inscribed in different ways. Well, as you can see, this is one of the many theories in flamenco research that everyone repeats, assumes and transmits without a critical reflection on the accuracy of it. This is a brief summary of the predominant position on this subject in the current flamenco research. Now I will talk about my position on it. I believe that it is possible to know what music was sung and played with a high degree of reliability. This hypothesis is based on several arguments, and I will mention now only three of them. The first of them is that in some scores there are indications from the editor or composer commenting that they have tried to reflect as faithfully as possible what people sing. Today we know that transcriptions cannot faithfully reflect what is being played or sung, but remember the grace. If there is the intention to capture on paper what was 
if there if there is the intention to if if there is the intention to capture on paper what was sounding, at least something was captured. I will give you some examples. Eduardo Ocom, in his collection Cantos Españoles, translated as Spanish Songs, published in 1874, say literally the following. As for the properly popular ones that appear in this book, All Andalusian, they have been taken from the mouth of the same people, taking care to copy them from the greatest possible exactitude. It is very clear in this text the intention of Ocon. We can see something similar with Antonio Alba, a guitarist from the late 19th century and early 20th century. In one of his collections of flamenco guitar scores, he indicates the following. I have decided to compile this collection, taking it from the source itself, so that the amateur public can recreate themselves with such sentimental melodies. Well, in addition to this type of direct testimony of how was captured on paper what was sung orally, as Eduardo Con says, as accurately as possible, there is a second argument that for me is even more powerful. I usually perform a musical analysis called paradigmatic analysis in my musical research. It is a type of structural analysis. That's it. I try to find the shared musical structures in a series of pieces of music that are compared. So that you can understand me, we do something similar to extract the DNA of some musical features, such as harmony, rhythm, lyrical structure or melody, to find out if certain pieces are identical or even related. Lenny Carreyes and I have been developing this analytical methodology for years, taking the traditional paradigmatic analysis as a basis and extending it with new functionalities so that we can get what is similar to each other and what is the degree of similarity, for example. Well, after performing numerous comparative analyses during these last years with peteneras, sorongos, guajira, cuban zapateos, zapateados, jarabes, fandangos, etc., the results of this analysis show us that generally the pieces that we have compared together are very similar to each other. For example, we compared many scores of Spanish petenera from the 19th century and found that they all have a high degree of melodic similarity. The extraordinary thing is that if we analyze this 19th century Spanish petenera with other Mexican peteneras from the same period, we also obtain a very high musical similarity. There was, let's say, a lot of shared DNA. By this, if we consider that these petenera scores were original creations, they would probably not be so similar melodically. Perhaps there may be similarities in the musical macrostructures, such as harmony or rhythm, but perhaps not so much in a more micro-analysis, such as the melodic structures. However, the musical results tell us that this is not so, but the degree of similarity of the micro-level of analysis is still quite high between the Spanish and Mexican peteneras of the 19th century. The third argument on which I base the assertion that the scores of popular music in general and specifically in 19th century flamenco reflect quite reliably what people sang is because when comparing these scores with oral music, whether it survives today or was recorded, it turns out that the degree of similarity of the musical structures is very high, close to 100%. To illustrate this argument, I will compare a Guajira recorded in the early 20th century with a score of Antonio Alba that tried to reflect this same cante or song. We will listen to verse by verse how it is sung in the recording and how it was written in the score. If you are watching the video of this episode on the YouTube channel Sonidos Olvidados en Musicología Creativa, 
you will see which notes are the same in both versions, so you can also check visually the considerable similarity between them, and how the music in the score is quite faithfully to what was sung. Let's listen to this Guajira from La Rubia. We will hear the recording and then the score. The second verse ending in Vida Mía sounds like this. The third verse. The fourth verse is the following. The fifth verse. And finally, verse 6, also ending with Vida Mía. As you can hear, the music La Rubia sings in the recording is practically identical to that reflected in the score. Specifically, if we make a quick quantitative analysis, out of 59 melodic pitches in the Guajira sung in the recording, 55 are identical in the score. That's it, a 93% of similarity. Another even more obvious example is the following. I will play with my guitar a fragment of a granaina from the beginning of the 20th century. I will also play you a fragment of a solea from the same period. or not, this fragment I just played correspond to a score from more than 100 years ago. This score captures precisely what the guitarists at the time, such as Ramon Montoya, played, as we can see in the old recordings. Again, there was an intention to capture on paper how the flamenco guitar was being recreated as faithfully as possible. I will tell you that when you do this kind of analysis, not with one, but with several different songs or palos, and you get this kind of result with all of them, you came to the conclusion that it was usual in the 19th century for the scores to reflect quite faithfully what people sang or played in the guitar. 
remember that I always refer to the musical structures rather than how this performance would sound. Unfortunately, we don't have yet a time machine to know this. In fact, in my opinion, it would be an exception if a 19th century score did not reflect the music that was sung. Of course, there are some exceptions. An example of this can be found in some works by Francisco Pelais, pseudonym of Felipe Pedrel, who wrote peteneras and malagueñas that did not correspond musically to these palos. In fact, he acknowledged later that he did so, let's say, on purpose. When Lenny Carriés and I became aware of the integrity and reliability of the 19th century sheet music, we realized that we were dealing with something extraordinary, a tremendous source of information of oral pieces of the past. Isn't it exciting to know how the serranas, the malagueñas, the fandangos, the soleás, the guajira, the polos, the peteneras, the tango, or the sevillanas in the 19th century could have sound? to know which variants were in fashion in each period and to trace how these flamenco palos were transformed through the 19th century? For me, this is exciting. Now you can understand why I love the musical research of this period so much. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode, a little longer than usual, but this topic is enough for not one, but several seminars. In next episodes of this podcast, I will show many more examples of the magic we can find in these old scores, how they pick up sounds now forgotten in flamenco, and how we can enjoy them again so long after. See you in two weeks. 